welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. I, to be honest, I, I really struggle with today's sermon. I, I, was, I wrote three different sermons this morning from 5 to 8 a.m., um, having researched all week, trying to figure out what it is. And, and that may sound strange to some of you. I just need you to know, I have been trained in exegetical research, expository preaching for eight years. We started our church. I preach verse by verse through scriptures. Um, so topical teaching's a lot harder for me. It's not how I was trained. I was actually trained by Pastor Bill at, at Vanguard University. Um, so my, my, I have this like academic approach to like the way you preach is this way. But as I've been growing as a preacher and learning to listen to the spirit, I can't help but think about Paul in first Corinthians. I'm going to be bouncing around a lot because I'm trying to figure this out as I go. But in first Corinthians, there's this section. And then if you study Acts, the apostle Paul is, uh, goes from Athens to Corinth. So Athens is like the epicenter of um, kind of the Greek thinking and philosophy, and he debates the smartest people in the entire world at the time, right? And, and he debates them about the resurrection and Jesus, and, and he, he almost gets killed because they think he's preaching two different gods if you study the Greek. But then he, he kind of takes a couple of people with him after that experience, and then he goes to Corinth, and when he writes about what he did in Corinth, he says, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus and him crucified. Whoa, so he goes from debating the philosophers of the day. If it was on YouTube, it would, I mean, that's, it would have been on YouTube live stream, like Super Bowl Sunday. It would have been like that moment. He goes from that ministry experience to going to another Greek city saying, uh, I don't know anything except Christ and him crucified. And then he says, I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. This is not something you want from a leader. Can we, can we be honest, Americans, most of us, some Canadians, and others, South African, maybe, anyone, other countries, just shout it out. Um, the UK, Mexico, we love you guys all. The American way is successful and strong and large, famous as fast as possible. Not necessarily a good thing either. He says, I come to you in fear, weakness. And then he says, my message and my preaching were, were, were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that you, your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Can I be honest? I'm just, you know what? I'm not going to ask permission. I'm going to be honest. I've not been a part of churches or a part of leadership experiences where people will rest on the power of the Holy Spirit. You probably wouldn't like a church that trembled with fear and weakness. 
but chose to remain yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit, to demonstrate the power. Now, you go on and read the rest of First and Second Corinthians. There's a lot of smart things Paul says. It's absolutely amazing. But he says, when I was with you, I wanted you to have a faith built on the demonstration of God's power and on the cross. And it's foolish. And you will go on, which I'll read in a second. And he'll say, it's not going to make sense. Actually, I'm just going to go there now because this is a new sermon today. So number four, here we go. <clears throat> He goes on in, in that same uh, chapter 2, and this I have a slide for this. It's um, verse 14, I think. It says this. No, verse 10, he says, The Spirit searches all things, even deep things of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Listen to this. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has given us, freely given us. Listen to this. This is not, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit. Everyone got that? Good. Okay, we're going to move on. Explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught Words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgment about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. Who has known the mind of the Lord as to, so as to instruct us, who is going to teach us this thing? And his response is, but we have the mind of Christ. Okay, this is so complex, and I, I don't have this in my notes to explain it, but I'm going to explain it from research I've done in the past. But what I need you to understand is what Paul is getting at. Is there are ways of living in the world with worldly wisdom, and that worldly wisdom cannot see spiritual realities that the only way you are going to understand the things that Jesus wants to reveal to you, that Paul wants to teach you, that you can be taught through scriptures, is through the Holy Spirit. But we, in the church, settle for something else. We have not been immersed, baptized, filled with a knowledge that comes from a knowledge of experience experience. We have settled for something else. Billy Graham once wrote this. He said, everywhere I go, I find that God's people lack something. They are hungry for something. Their Christian experience is not all they expected, and they often have reoccurring defeat in their lives. Christians today are hungry for spiritual fulfillment Listen to what he says. The most desperate need of the nation today is that men and women who profess Jesus be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a man who traveled the world, traveled the United States, preached to over one billion people in his lifetime. And he says, there is a hunger that's in Christians there is a lack of spiritual fulfillment in the church today. Now, if you study any of the great psychologists, they have tried to diagnose this human condition. 
Sigmund Freud said people are hungry for love. Carl Jung said people are hungry for security. Alfred Adler said people are hungry for significance. But Billy Graham knew, no, 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 no. They're hungry for the presence of God. And he says the church is lacking. And I would say today, as I look at society in the West, with all of our problems, with all of the division, with all of the pain, I was reading the New York Times today about mental illness in the young, in the teenagers and young people, 13-year-olds. They're saying eight-year-olds need to be screened for anxiety disorders. We have a crisis before us. And we think with all of this progress in our, uh, our, our culture that we're heading towards something, but that's a lie because there is no progress without the presence of God. And we're longing for something. And as long as we, we say, yeah, but we got to keep it orderly. Let's, let's not get out of hand. We got to make sure, you know, we have right doctrine before you start talking about things of the Spirit. As long as you live with a set of fear and caution towards the presence of God, you will never have the fulfillment that is given to you by God. God's presence is the thing your soul longs for. And we learn to fill that ache in our soul with money and power and entertainment and pleasure and relationships and our careers and comforts and knowledge and fame. And we live our lives searching for more. And then as Christians, we come into this new thing called faith with excitement and then we live with overwhelming defeat and a sense of powerlessness that we can't actually change our thoughts. We can't actually change our behaviors or our feelings. We can't actually change the addictions we brought into this Christian faith because what we've been taught, what we've been conditioned to in the church is defeat. It's like we've been settling into the promised land without the, without the presence of God. It's Exodus 33 when God is so angry with the people of God. He says, hey, go into the promised land, you stiff-necked people, which is an insult, by the way. Um, he says, but I'm not coming with you. And then in Exodus 33, Moses pleads with Yahweh. He's like, no, no, no. This promise of over 450 years given to Abraham about this land flowing with milk and honey. We don't want any of that if you don't come. Forget the promise. We want your presence. Just a side note. This is just for my own sake. This is a, a crisis moment for Moses, the leader, because the God who called him to lead these people is now saying, I'm going to lead the people that I've called you to lead. He's like, time out. You told me to do this but I'm not going to do it without you. And he's at this crisis moment where he's about to lose everything. And in that moment, he negotiates with God, right? And it says he goes to meet with God. And it says he meets with God face to face like a friend. Moses meets face to face with God like a friend. And then he says to God, show me your glory. Wait, I mean, you're, you're as close as anyone has ever been to God up until this point in human history, except for Adam and Eve. Face to face like a friend, and God says, I will show you my goodness. 
And he has this encounter with God. And this one encounter is an encounter that sustains the rest of Moses' life and leadership for the people of God. Something about God's presence transforms his ability to mediate, to lead, to sustain a sense of connectedness and presence with God for the rest of the people of God. And the people of God exist, remember, for the rest of the world. There's a power in encounter. But as John Wimber says, we see or said, we see according to our expectations. Many times our expectations come from conditioning. We are taught to expect certain things in the, in the Christian life and miss what God is doing if he acts outside of our expectations. So Billy Graham says, we lack the Holy Spirit. Christians need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And B- Billy Graham had multiple en- encounters with the Holy Spirit, once in Wales, and then there's another encounter he has at a conference in 1949, Billy Graham, uh, already established in his ministry, felt frustrated, this is historical account, as if he was living his second best. And he was at a conference, and he woke up another guest speaker in the middle of the night to talk over his difficulties. The speaker was Edwin Orr, a famous historian of revival. As Graham expressed his hunger for deeper blessing, Orr told him it came by way of surrender. Have you surrendered your will, emotions, and intellect? He asked Graham. Graham went out alone that night. There was one issue that he knew was holding him back, an issue that needed to be put to death. After deep wrestlings, he surrendered this issue to the Lord. He returned saying that he had been filled afresh with the Spirit of God and had received a vision for his ministry. Right after that was the revival in Los Angeles where Billy Graham was scheduled for three weeks at the Coliseum and it went on for eight weeks. Over 350,000 people heard the gospel preached. Thousands and thousands came to know Jesus because of that moment. But I just want to bring this to you to say people even like Billy Graham had an encounter that filled them afresh and gave them hope for the things of the future. The world needs a church set on fire by God's presence. We don't need more programs. We don't need more purpose-driven churches. We don't need hype worship sets with fog machines. We need people who know how to get in the presence of the Lord and just says, and they say, come Holy Spirit. We need leaders who will be yielded to the presence, who reject platforms and book deals and conference circuits and money and fame, leaders who will live humbly and when when slighted, they will forgive. And when taken advantage of, they will forgive. And when they get upset about the way something's done, done, they will forgive. They won't tweet their opinions to the world or deconstruct with a podcast rejecting the thing they once were a part of. We need a community set on fire for the presence of God who fall in love with scripture and know the presence of God and the difference between emotions and God's presence, between feelings and warm fuzzies and God's presence. Have you been trained in the presence? Have you learned 
to wake up early and set yourself before the word of God and say, God, I want more of you. Will you, if you don't worship in your home, put some worship music on. There's a new album every freaking week. <laughs> and it's good. It's the best stuff. We're so distracted. We're so consumed that we've missed the glory for something else. I don't know what I'm supposed to preach on the rest of the day. I've got some notes, some good thoughts, and great, smart people. I love, I love, I love. Here's what I want to say this. How do you live the Christian life? We just finished Easter, which, by the way, can we just say Easter was awesome. I mean, I'm so glad you came back here. I was worried with the air conditioning, stained glass, with like the land flowing with milk and honey, literally kids ministry. There's like room for all of the children. <laughs> I was like, I, was, I mean, they have a chapel and a gymnasium and parking for lots of people. And, and I mean, there's no graffiti and it's just, holy moly, what you don't realize what you don't have, Right. But apart from that, we filled that sanctuary. People worship Jesus. I preached with some other Daniel pastor, and it, I thought it went well. I was happy. <laughs> we had tacos. I mean, you can't beat tacos on Easter Sunday and a room full of bounce houses. I mean, there's nothing more. Maybe Easter egg hunt, but that's it. Maybe just an Easter egg hunt. And now, now it's the Sunday after Easter, and it's ordinary life. How do you live this Christian life in ordinary ways? What, what is the Christian life? Because when I look at the world, and I look at how many Christians are professing faith in Jesus, and what's going on in the U.S., it breaks my heart because witness is lost on us. When we say, Jesus is Lord... So is my politics. Jesus is Lord, but you have to conform to my views of culture, culture and way of life and identity perspectives. It's great. We love unity as, as long as there's conformity in our thinking around everything else in our life. Yeah, go after sexuality, Darren. Don't go after greed. Go after the right. Don't go after the left. Go after the left. It is insane to me, the world we live in, because I can't preach a sermon without somebody being offended by something. Talk about Artemis, and people got upset about how I talked about Artemis. True story. And, and I'll give it to that person. They were courageous to talk to me, and they're amazing. We had a dialogue via email, but it, it was like a sign for me of like, man, you just can't say anything without being offended. And I'm for truth now more than ever before. And I want to say this truthfully. We lack basic Christian life today. So 
A Christian life, what am I talking about? Is a life of intimate fellowship with God, a life filled with unexplainable joy and a sense of peace, a life filled with the fruit of the Spirit, filled with miraculous signs and wonders and answers to prayers. The Christian life is marked by loving and healthy relationships. The Christian life is grounded in biblical truth. The Christian life is Spirit-filled, surrendered, without compromise, resilient, and life-giving. And the only way you can get to it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke 24, Hector said, uh, read this this morning. The inside joke was Hector was told he was supposed to read all of Luke chapter 24, um, which has 50 verses, so that would have been the rest of the day. Jesus says to his disciples, wait at the end of the gospel of Luke. Wait for what the Father has promised. Stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Are you clothed in power? Just maybe close your eyes for a second. Time's up. (laughs) You had two seconds to answer the question. There's a quote from Simon Ponsonby that I've quoted lots of times, but he says, the Greek word for power is dunamis, from which we derive words like dynamite, dynamo, dynamic. Christians who are filled with the Holy Spirit will be explosive. They will make noise and have an impact. Their words, lives, and presence will change things. It is the fullness of that power that Paul wants us to enter into. Paul declared that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. Sadly, however, we often seem all talk and no power. Impotent, academic, and anemic, we have placed God in a box. We have domesticated God and rarely want him to disturb us. But the scriptures reveal a God who is all power, who breaks our boxes, shatters our bonds, shakes whole rooms, and turns the whole upside down and right side up, the whole world upside down and right side up. The Holy Spirit power was always the mark of the men and women of God in Scripture. I just, like, I I just can't get over this idea when I was thinking about starting our series, this idea that Jesus says, wait to be clothed in power. And I just, I want you to just, my, the, what, the framework I have for this is Roman Empire, the most powerful empire that people ever experienced at that time, killed Jesus on the cross, right? There's no building, there's no fundraising campaign, there's no Instagram or Twitter going viral, none of that's happening, there's no institution, no senior leadership, these guys were uneducated, and Jesus says, hey, you're going to receive power from on high. So just wait for that. And then the message is going to go to all of the nations. Like not just the Roman Empire. No, no, no. That's too small of a vision. Around the world. And we are here because of that historical fact. And I wonder if we today have thought about the implications of the first Christians. To summarize Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said, if we, if we have what the first Christians had, why do we not do what they did? We must conclude that either God gave them more than he has given us, or we have failed to avail ourselves of what he has given us. We have failed 
to take advantage of what God has given us. So I guess the question I have to start our series off is, do you want more? Do you know that you can have more of God? And there's going to be lots of debating, and we're going to teach theologically over the next 14 weeks. Next week is baptism in the Holy Spirit. Some of you are like, the the theologians have debated for the last 200 years, 2,000 years. Is it a one-time filling once you receive Jesus? In the, is it a second filling like the Pentecostals have taught, like a second? Is it a third thing? that? And the answer is yes. As far as I can see in the Bible, yeah, absolutely. You receive the Holy Spirit, and then they, they get Pentecost, they receive the Holy Spirit, and then chapter 4, they receive the Holy Spirit again, and then Acts 19, more people experience it, and, and, and Paul will say in Ephesians 5, verse 18, in perfect present uh, uh, verb, he'll say, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't get drunk off wine. Keep on being filled. The point is that we, <clears throat> if we want to enter into Jesus' ministry, According to Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John, Jesus' ministry is one of baptism in the Spirit. John the Baptist says, there's one coming after me. I baptize you with water for the repentance, but there's one coming who will baptize you with the Spirit and fire. And I just think there's more. And if anything, this is for me as a pastor saying, I want more. I was worshiping this morning so grateful for Faith, our pastor. She's, and, and we're a family, and, and, you know, we have been leading this church, my wife and I, for almost 13 years. And it came out of this calling, you know, and, and then it came from this experience of being a part of a, a spirit-filled church in the UK, and we just said, we want to be at a church that experiences all of the things of the New Testament. That's the basic thing. That's it. We want to experience all the things of the New Testament. That's it. <laughs> that's, that's all we want. Cool? So that's our vision. Like, you know, on earth as it is in heaven. That's all we want. Heaven on earth. That's cool. Are you guys good with that? Great. We're going to keep moving. But I was so great. I'm, I'm grateful for faith for so many reasons because I have been watching her since she was 20. She led worship with Pete, our old worship pastor. Um, and t- at 20-year-old Faith, beautiful blonde bangs, playing the keys. Where are you, Faith? Are you in the room? You're probably outside. Okay, I love you, Faith. Um, and um, I've watched her over the last 10 years just become a woman of an exceptional leadership. But well, I've also watched her suffer well. And I'm, I'm on my knees in worship knowing that I'm being led by someone who's encountered God, who struggles, who fights for faith, who's pursuing God with everything. And it's because of that we've been, I really believe we're seeing breakthrough in worship. And you, I want you to have eyes to see, I want you to see this, that um, you can have a good set list led by a worship leader, but you can be led into encounter through someone who worships God. And we have a worshiper who happens to be our worship pastor. And there's, there's this moment right now where if you press in, in worship, you're going to experience more of God. I know for a fact. 
Because when, when the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2 and everyone starts speaking in tongues, which is all the conservatives are like, oh my gosh, that's a scary thing. They were, it was known languages in like 13 or 14 different languages are spoken by these Galilean hicks, essentially, is what, they, what they're known for. That was the nickname. Like these, these people from Barstow are speaking all these different world languages. <laughs> if you're from Barstow, I apologize. <clears throat> it helps make a point. But I love you and God sees you. And, and, and they're speaking in tongues. They're, they're speaking in different languages. The Holy Spirit. And I mean, talk about a, an, an event. 120 people in a room, and there's wind violently blowing, and it's like an earthquake. And then there's fiery tongues over the heads. Like, if John was in the room, he'd be like, where are the fire extinguishers? We got to put this. Not, not that he was extinguishing the spirit, but he's making sure everything's under control. He's, he came from an emergency manager position at Cal State Long Beach. That's why. Actually, he has a crazy story of falling over and praying in tongues. So that's a whole other thing. So he would be on the, on the floor rolling, crying, saying, God's, all, God's so good. I love God. The point is this. That's crazy experience. But the tongues, the first time the Spirit anoints the church, people around hear praises to God. Spirit anoints people to worship. When the presence of God comes, just a quick highlight. When Babel happens, one language being used to displace God with a, a tower of Babel. We don't need God anymore. We're going to reach the heavens. So God spreads, uses language. The story is in, in, in Genesis 7. God uses language to divide the people because they were using their science and intellect to displace God. Acts 2 is the reversal of Babel. God uses language to bring unity in praising him. So when we come to worship on Sundays, I want you to bring your very best. I want you to be here on time with expectancy for what God's going to do in this, this moment. Not in the sermon, not in the response. I'm, I feel like I'm talking to the team right now. So hey, team, listen up. Okay, I'd be a terrible coach. I'd use a lot of shame to motivate you. Fear and trembling, you would know what that means. Coach rounds in. <clears throat> I guess it's kind of a pastoral plea. I don't want you to miss what God's going to do in this moment. Um, if you're a guest visiting us, this is not a normal Sunday. Um, this is not a normal sermon I, I preach. There's way more cohesiveness. There's way more streamlined. Maybe not. Maybe you disagree. <laughs> I want you to experience more of the Holy Spirit. Some of you don't want more because you want control. You want to be Lord. You want to indulge in the flesh. You, want, you don't want to witness or work for Christ. We want God on our terms. We don't want him interfering with what we do. We want him to serve us. We want to ask him for things, not him ask us for things. We want certainty and autonomy. We want some days off. We want our limits. <laughs> but that unyielded life will never produce the life that Jesus came to give you.
that Christian life that I'm whispering about that we'll hear more about over the 14 weeks can only come through absolute surrender. There is no way you will experience the life that is booming with eternity here and now that Jesus came to give you unless you fully surrender to God. So I had some other things. I'm just going to say this. How can you prepare for more of the Holy Spirit? Here's some points you can take away, and maybe this is helpful. Number one is repentance. We need to repent, renounce, and remove. Acts chapter 2, verse 37, when Peter preaches to the crowd, he says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Point number one, is if you want more of God, it begins with repentance. It begins with recognizing that you're off and you want more, that you, like me, have an unyielded and unsurrendered life. You have things that you're holding back from God. And right now, if you were to take a two-second audit, where's that beep? You probably have a list of three or to five things that God's speaking to you about right now, saying, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine. Repentance is saying, yes, it's yours. Don't hold back today. Please, I'm pleading with you. I'm I'm asking you. Because where we're going requires, well, it requires all of you. All of your life. That's all it's going to cost. It's absolutely everything. But if you surrender everything, there's so much more. There's so much more. Some of you have never been baptized in water. It's time to get baptized. We have like three people or two people getting baptized today. And it's so symbolic. It's a celebration. We're going to celebrate new life. Some of you need to come in in your Sunday's best and declare Jesus as Lord today. That's going to happen today. I know it. Number two is obedience. How do you prepare? Acts 5 verse 32. We are all witnesses of the thing, these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. If you want to grow in more of the presence of God, start with repentance, surrendering the things that have been Lord in your life. Declare Jesus as Lord. Second, obey the things that he puts in your heart. Learn obedience. And this is such a terrible word today. This is the way for more. Obedience. Number three is prayerfulness. I believe there's a direct connection to the things we're witnessing in the renewal of our local church and the prayer room that was started on Tuesday morning at 7.30, now 8 a.m., praise the Lord. (laughs) Acts 4, verse 31, it says this. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This comes right after persecution and threats from the Sanhedrin. And rather than saying, oh Lord, what are we going to do? We've got to change our strategy. They say, no, 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 no. We seek you. They pray. God fills them with his presence again. And then they have boldness to do what they were already doing. What produced that outpouring of the Spirit in that moment? Their prayerfulness. One day for an hour on Tuesdays is another corporate gathering for us. Well, it's just a little too early for me. I live all the way on the other side. I don't care. Get there. Your faithfulness to prayer will produce a harvest you don't even get to experience or witness. Do you want more? The last thing 
or maybe there's a, maybe there's a couple more, uh, is humility. I talked about this a couple weeks ago that I kept saying this phrase, if you want to have eyes to see, you have to have eyes to see and ears to hear. Remember when I was talking about this? Some of you are going to get it. Some of you aren't. You have to have eyes to see and ears to hear. Um, there, I was talking to my wife about it after. She's like, hey, I was trying to understand what you were saying. I think a better way or a way that I'm hearing you say that is how are people going to get things of the Spirit? How are they going to get the things of the kingdom today? And um, she, she said, I feel like it's about keeping your heart soft. And I was like, yeah, that's it. Is your heart soft right now? So many of us aren't open to the things of God because we're still holding on to unforgiveness. We're still hurt by that that 2020 experience. We're We're still not talking to those family members because of those Facebook posts that really offended us. I mean, these are not playful jokes. These are serious things that hinder the presence of God in your life. And lastly, I think we should just ask for more with expectancy. We need to live with expectancy. I'm at the point in my life where I'm willing to throw in the towel unless I see God do a move. That might last for 40 years, by the way. I'll keep throwing in the towel. I'll keep surrendering everything because I know God wants more. He wants more of my life. I had a really hard morning trying to write this sermon and I walked into our prayer team praying and I was immediately, I sat down and I just began to worship and I had a song on my heart. Now, this is weird. I'm not a worship leader. How many of you could know this? (laughs) I started writing in my heart a worship song. I came to my brother who was leading worship. I'm like, Brian, I have this song. I'm gonna sing it to you. How many times have I done that to you? Ever? Ever? Maybe once, zero times, he says. And I just started singing to God. Why did I do that? I have no idea. But what I was singing was more of you, God. More of you. All of me for all of you. Jesus, heal my wounds. Cleanse my sins. Free my chains. More, more of you, more of you, all of me for all of you. Jesus, heal my wounds, cleanse my sins, and free my chains. If we become the church that surrenders to the Holy Spirit, we will have songs that God puts in our heart. We will have healing, yes. We have prophecy, yes. We have signs and wonders. We will have unity. We will have submission to one another. We will have love. We will have heaven in our midst. And it won't happen because we organized it with Instagram and a campaign of giving and finances. And it will happen because you surrendered to God's presence. Can we stand? Throughout history, I'm just going to pray this, and then after, this is just going to be a big old mess, okay, cool, we're good with that, good. If you want neat and tidy, Grace Brethren has a really cool building, it's really neat and tidy, (laughs) 
Just kidding. They're awesome. They're on fire. Would you just open up your hands? You know, throughout history, movements have started because of a very dangerous prayer, and it's simply this. Come, Holy Spirit. And don't pray that prayer today if you're not willing to go where he leads you. Because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. Now, we're not talking about a faithless, anemic prayer. We're talking about the resurrected Messiah sending his helper to comfort, strengthen, equip, empower, release, saturate, baptize us in the Trinitarian reality so that we may go as witnesses of the resurrection to the ends of the earth. We will make disciples. We will cast out demons. We will heal the sick. We will say to this mountain, move. We will say to this storm, cease. We will walk on water if we have a little bit of faith. But brothers and sisters, do not say that prayer unless you mean it. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.